Well, come on. Let's give the Lord another big hand clap this morning. I, I pray you were greeted three or four hearty times by people all around you. And um, one of the things I think is important is that we connect and love one another. How many of you know you're an instrument of God's hand touching the world, and so we can touch one another, love on one another. Touch your neighbor right now and say, I'm glad you're here. Tell them. So how many know, how, how many of you have had a great morning so far? Yeah. Now, now if, you really, if you really told the truth, you could say you survived Easter morning, you got the kids dressed, got them fed, didn't kill a kid, didn't leave a kid. Come on, somebody. <laughs> didn't kill your husband, didn't kill your wife after she went through three wardrobe changes this morning. How many know that Easter Sunday morning creates all types of dilemmas for people sometimes? And in fact, when I evangelize, like when I'm at the gym or I'm different places and I tell people, hey man, you need to come to the gym, come to church with me. And in fact, the gym has become a harvest place for me. I meet more people there and invite them to church. Some of them have come. My man's sitting right here. We work out together, although you're more swole than I am. Don't get it twisted. This is twisted steel and the sex appeal, my brother. Just so you know, I'm in there handling it. But, but, but how I many you know, you got like what, like, what do I wear? What do I wear? So my wife made sure I look pretty dapper this morning. She said, look, look, this is what she said to me. She said, I need you to dress like a grown man this morning. I said, I am, but I'm still wearing my J's. Hello, somebody. But, but, but I said to myself, looking in the mirror, I said, my dude, you missing something. The outfit was just missing a little something, and so I commissioned a jeweler by the name of Elise Hayworth to make me a piece for this morning, and it looks like this. I think the outfit is banging now. This is actually part of my sermon this morning. If, no, it's not real. <laughs> If it was real, I'd have security up here right now with all of this. This is bedazzled on the cheek. Come on, somebody. But I wanted to illustrate a point because one of the things that we talked about as a team this Easter is that we wanted to strip down and correct back to the basics of the gospel and the cross. And, and the problem with, with crosses in our culture is they've been co-opted since the beginning. And one of, the, one of the things that has happened to us now is the cross has literally been reduced to a piece of jewelry or a tattoo for the most part. But, but what, what you find through history is we're not the first generation to co-opt the cross for our own good or, or divisive ends. Now, now, many of you may not have read history. I'm going to give you just a brief little synopsis of what has happened. The first century church originally was formed under Roman occupation. And there was an intense persecution. Men and women were killed in brutal ways for their faith. But along comes an emperor by the name of Constantine who legalizes Christianity. And all of a sudden, as Christianity is legalized throughout the Roman Empire, buildings start being built, large edifices start being built, and crosses begin to adorn them. It becomes public now, and the cross is center stage. But, but that's not the only reason that the cross has been used and been co-opted. You'll remember that through the, the first century and the Middle Ages, artists started being commissioned, and they would write, and, and they, would, they would sculpt, and they would paint, and paint the cross. But that's not the only use for it. It was used, if you remember correctly, by the Crusaders. They rode and killed and murdered women and children 
all while being adorned with the cross. And even in America, throughout our history, the cross has been co-opted by the Ku Klux Klan to terrorize African Americans in our country and Jews and Catholics, anybody that sympathize. So the cross has been co-opted. Now, what you and I have to do is correct back to the real origins of the cross and the purpose and meaning has not lost its purpose and meaning in our generation. I'm going to take this cross off now. I don't want too many pictures showing up on IG with that. With no caption, somebody might say, caption Pastor Keith under this. I don't need that kind of drama in my life, hello. But recently, I had one of the older saints come to me and ask me, this is the sort of the origin of why this cross is on the stage here, and we're going to find out ways, we're going to find a decorative way to keep crosses in this space. But, but one of the older saints said to me, it's like, hey, Pastor Keith, I was here when this building was built, and love the fact that, you, you know, we're stewarding it, and you're doing some things to revitalize it. I was part of paying for it and retiring the debt and that type of thing. How many you know it's good to have a building that doesn't have any mortgage No, Come on, somebody. That's a good thing. And so we got to talking, and she, she was saying to me, she said, well, the building literally could be anything. If you drive by it on Main Street, it could be anything. If you don't know what East Hill is, you take the sign off of it, it could be any kind of building. And I told her, I said, that's, that's actually a good thing because we want it to be a multi-use space. We don't want it to be fixed seats that you can only do one thing in. In fact, we use our church because I believe that, real, that church real estate is some of the most underutilized real estate in any community. And one of the things that we wanted to do is to make sure it was a community asset, that there are civic things that are done here. There are, are school meetings that are held here. Teachers come here for out of in-service training and different things. And so we wanted that. But at the same time, we want to make sure that it's definitely known for being a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and forever will be. Amen? And so that's where this cross came from. How many of you know it's a gigantic cross, by the way, just so you know? It is heavy. I try, listen, I tried to lift it, and one of, my, one of the young men and I were lifting it, and all of a sudden it started falling toward my side, and I almost found out what it meant to carry a cross or get buried underneath one. Hello? The cross. Say the cross. I want to talk to you about the cross being a place of exchange. In other words, and let, me, let me say it to you this way. For those of you that, that, that are not well-versed in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints, they, they, they came out of Egypt. You've seen the Ten Commandments and Moses and Ben-Hur, all of that. And so they come out of Egypt, and, and literally they've got to learn how to be the people of God and how to relate to God. They've got to be taught. And the sacrificial system is put in place where they would bring rams and, and lambs and turtle doves and pigeons and all these things because the blood of those animals was used based on your economic level. You would offer a certain sacrifice, and the blood of those lambs would cover, as it were, your sin, but never take it away. You never had an ability to get a new heart. How many of you recognize that that can only happen through Jesus Christ? But it was an altar that they would bring it to. And what you must understand is every husband, every father, every patriarch would offer a sacrifice on behalf of his family. So then fast forward in the New Testament when you see John the Baptist baptizing and he sees Jesus and his disciples coming down to be baptized and he says these words, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. What he is literally saying and what he is doing is saying God the Father has a lamb for his house, humanity is his house, and it is Jesus and he foreshadows all that was foreshadowed is about to be fulfilled on the cross through Jesus Christ. 
He is the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, for all of humanity, for all times. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. That's, that's good news. And so, what the cross is, is an altar. It is a place of exchange. And I want to get into this idea of exchange because how many of you recognize, those of you that are Christians here this morning, I know we have a mixed crowd, I'm going to bring you along in the conversation, but how many of you recognize you as a Christian did not get what you deserve? You got grace, you got mercy, you got reconciled, the judgment of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross so it didn't have to come upon your life. Come on, somebody. This is why Good Friday is so important, why we anticipate Sunday morning. Good Friday, we suffer. Good Friday, we see the slain Savior there. But on Sunday, say Sunday. Sunday. Touch your neighbor, say, today is Sunday with a smile. Tell them right now. Today, we recognize that He's risen. And that what he said did come true, that he would come out of the grave on the third day, and so he did. Amen? Amen. Let's get into 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be on the screen for those of you that don't have your Bible with you. It says this, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, those of us that have named the name of Jesus Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Did you see the exchange in that verse? I bring my sin to Him, He brings righteousness to me. I don't have any hope of ever being righteous. That's why you should never be self-righteous, which means when you're self-righteous, it means you're trying to do something to make yourself appear righteous. But how many recognize that our righteousness before God will always fail because God is perfect and the standard is perfection? And I don't know whether you notice or not, but devotions in the morning does not make you perfect by lunchtime. I don't know if you know, how many, how many of you grew up in church and had midweek service on Wednesdays? Anybody ever know? I don't know about you, but listen, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I would get saved on Sunday, and then by Wednesday, I need to get saved again. Come on, y'all. Because whatever it was, it wasn't working all the week long. And I didn't understand the cross. I didn't understand the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand assurance of salvation. I just knew they gave an altar call on Wednesday night, and I knew I cussed somebody out on Tuesday, so it was time to get saved again. I'm, not, I'm, I'm the only one. I'm sorry. Let me find something you like. <laughs> Isaiah 53 and 5 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace on him was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Did you notice iniquity, transgression, peace comes, there's an exchange. I want you to get that in your soul. Amen. Romans 6 and 23, classic portion of Scripture, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Here's an exchange. I bring death, He gives me life. Come on, y'all. Are you with me? Touch your neighbor and say, follow along. So, so for the Christian, the cross has deep meaning, more than a piece of jewelry, more than a good tattoo, although I don't have any problem with any of those. You can see my tattoos as you can see me standing here. So I don't have a problem with those as long as you understand the significance. 
As long as you understand the original meaning wasn't to make you look cool as, in, as a hooper or NBA player or some tough guy or tough girl, it, it, it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with what God was doing through his son, reconciling himself to the world, more importantly to you and I individually. And so for us, those of us that, that Christianity is your faith, it is central, it is foundational, it is essential. God literally was reconciling himself through Jesus Christ in that moment because sin had to be paid for. It makes sense to you. You can't, if, if, and I've seen some crazy, some of you have seen some of these cases where people have lost their loved ones and they're immediately at the court, at the trial. And I just, I mentioned this on Friday night. There was a young man who had his, his brother murdered by a law enforcement officer. And, and this was the trial and she was going to jail. And he was, on, he was on the stand and had an opportunity to say something. And he told the judge this. He says, I, I'd love to do something right now, judge. And he says, what is it? He said, I want to hug her because I've forgiven her, and I want to hug her. And so in the middle of this court, it's just the judge didn't even know what to do. He, uh, okay. And he goes down the front, and here the perpetrator, the murderer, and the victim's brother, he offers her what only a Christian, somebody that's been forgiven by God can offer, which is release and freedom. How I many know that's supernatural? How I many you know that's not, that's not like us? And, and this is what God is doing through crucifixion. This capital punishment reserved for the worst criminals. Jesus is not a criminal. Jesus has done nothing wrong. You know why? Because he is the lamb for God's house. He is the lamb, as it were in the Old Testament, without spot, without blemish. There is, they couldn't offer a lamb on an altar that maybe was crippled or had a lame eye. They had to offer their best. Jesus is heaven's best. Jesus is the Father's Son that He offers. Now, I got children, three of them, and, and, and spiritual children and grandchildren. I can promise you I love you, just not that much. I would never offer one of my children for anybody. I would offer my life to save one of their lives. But think about what God has done for us on the cross. This is meaningful. Please don't let the cross become trivialized to you. Please don't let the cross become just normalized and, oh yeah, JC, that thing he did. No, no, no. Please don't, don't do what we normally do, where familiarity breeds contempt over time. Keep the sense of awe. Whenever you've gone by the cross and just kind of, oh yeah, the cross, I got it, you know, JC, the man upstairs, you've gone too far. I mean, you know, if you're looking for a deep theology, it doesn't get any deeper than the cross. Those of us that are running around different places trying to get a word and that type of thing, here it is, the cross, Christ crucified. Hello. Paul said, it is the power of God unto salvation. Here is Paul's message. Greatest theologian in the Bible that I can find is Paul, and he pointed regularly to what? The cross and Jesus' resurrection. Touch your neighbor, said it doesn't get any deeper than that. Tell him right now. I think about what Jesus went through. This cruel, extremely brutal, this was meant to humiliate and exact as much pain as possible. This instrument of death is what it is. It was meant to brutalize you. And, and if you made it there like Jesus after having stripes put on your body and, and the loss of blood, you would have been in shock for the most part. But, but you could literally, some of those that were, that were impaled and placed on these crosses could last for days and just hang here. And that's why they would break legs and, and shorten it. So they couldn't, what they would do is push up 
to try to allow themselves to breathe because you would asphyxiate over time as well. So if we break your leg, you can't push up, which would speed the death up. Jesus was, by the way, humiliated. They stripped them naked and put them there. I know you've seen the sanitized version. Everything we've seen is sanitized. You don't even understand the brutality of Christ. When you read in Isaiah 53 that he was ripped beyond recognition, which means that, that you couldn't even understand or recognize who he was. He would have been brutalized and beaten so bad. And you say, why is that necessary? So that you and I would understand the depth of our depravity and the cost of sin. You didn't. This is why it's important for you as Christians to understand and not trivialize the grace of God because the grace of God is expensive. Do you understand? The grace of God costs the Son of God his life. So you and I should never be under this, uh, this thing, yeah, yeah, you know, the sin, uh, no problem. And I, yeah, I'll just repent when I get a chance, so I'll wait till Sunday to get to church. Don't wait and don't squander and mock the grace of God. I mean, hear what I'm saying this morning. Hmm. Jesus is the substitute that stayed. Are you with me? I, I don't know what you think when you hear the word substitute, but I immediately go back to my middle school years. Come on. How many, how many, I don't know about you, but I wasn't, I wasn't really a school person. I didn't really like going to school at the time. And, 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 and these words were the best words you could ever hear when you're going to class. You go to class and sit down waiting for Mr. Johnson or Mr. Smith, whoever it was, and you're like, where's the teacher? And somebody would say these words, Mr. Smith is not coming. You've got a substitute today. How many of you know it's on at that point? We can ready to have fun all day long. I'm not listening. We cutting up the whole class. Come on, wave at me. All you delinquents, wave at me. All you class clowns, wave at me. Not you three. I know you guys are very good students. You, you get straight A's. You're the ones that I threw spitballs at, just so you know. Because the substitute was in class. This is a different kind of substitute. He's the substitute. He takes my place. He lives the life that I couldn't live. Do you know? He, he is all righteous. He never sinned. He was, the, the Bible says that in all ways he was tempted as we are and yet without sin. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4 it says that we have a high priest that can be sympathetic with us. You need to understand that although Christians get impatient and pastors may get impatient and people preach down to you, I want you to recognize that Jesus never gets impatient with you, even though your relatives might, even though your friends might with your relapses, with all of the struggles that you have in your life and the drinking and the party. I know all of that they get frustrated with, but Jesus, say, but God. No, 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 that's like five of you right here. Are y'all alive? Say, but God. But God is merciful. God is gracious. God, listen, it, it, he never exhausts, you can never exhaust his patience. You can never exhaust his love. You, you've yet, for as long as some of you Christians have been saved, you've yet to explore the depth and the height and the width of God's grace. You just scratched the surface. So that's why you should never shrink back or stay away from God's house or get away from the things of God when you err. No, in those moments, pulling closer to the cross where the sacrifice was made. Well, if you want to clap, clap, come on. The 
The Bible says in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, says this about us. Paul writes these words. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Now, now what, what does that mean? That, like every single human being is born dead. Come, come here, Keisha, with the baby. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Quick, quick, baby. Don't trip, though. Don't trip my, with my grandbaby now. Look, look. Give me, give me, give me, sugar booger. Look at her. I want all of y'all to see it. Come on, online. Y'all got to see my baby. They're my grandbaby. I'm taking a minute right now. I know you think your grandbaby pretty. My grandbaby prettier. But you know what's funny? She already knows how to lie. She does. She knows how to manipulate already. She can cry a certain cry and it not be for nothing. She's going to go into children's ministry at one point in time with your little sugar booger, and she's going to bust your kid in the head with a truck. Talk about mine. You know what's bad? Keisha's going to look her right in the face at some point in time and say, baby, did you get in mama's purse and mess with her lipstick? By the way, lipstick is going to be on her forehead. And she's going to lie through her teeth and say, uh-uh. She's going to eat cookies. She's going to climb very industriously. She's going to climb up on the counter, get cookies out of the cookie jar, eat them, have crumbs and chocolate chips stuck in her teeth. And her mother's going to say, did you get the cookies after I told you not to? And she's going to say, mm-mm. And you know what Keisha's going to do? She's going to say, it's your father in you. And I'm going to agree, it's Seth. No. It's not. You know what's funny is parents go to parent-teacher meetings, and they start telling you all about what your kid is like when you're not around. And, and if you're, if you're a, a very, let's just say, a parent that is in denial, you'll start saying stuff like, my child would never such and do such a thing. Oh, yeah, they would. Isn't it funny how you don't have to teach your kids profanity? They just know. Who taught them this? They inherited a nature that was fallen, and it must be redeemed. They've inherited a nature. It's Adam's nature being passed down to every human being. And it isn't until the second Adam comes, Jesus Christ, that gives us new life, that we can be severed and get a new nature. Now, even if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I've prayed, I've been a Christian, I've tried, I'm struggling, I'm going through all kinds of stuff. It doesn't work, Christianity doesn't work. I'm struggling, I can't get the victory, I'm struggling. I know, the fact that you are struggling is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Because there was a time where you didn't even struggle. You just laid in it. Come on, somebody. Look at the Lord, I hand clap. So, so there is this place of exchange. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all your sins. Say all to your neighbor. Say right now. No, no, look your neighbor in the face that didn't look at you and tell him, I'm talking to you. All. I had a, Arlen, we did a men's retreat, which I'm looking forward. We're going to do some of those. We did a men's retreat, and um, I was doing an altar call. I was talking about this kind of thing and talking about being forgiven. 
And um, there was 200 men in this place. And I started talking about molestation. I said, there's guys in here that have been introduced to sex through molestation. And um, those guys need to come down and pray. And you know, like for a guy to admit that in front of other guys, to admit it, period, anybody. 100 guys come down and get ministered to. And at this moment, I saw a guy in the back of the room with his head down. And the Lord said, you need to minister to him. But I didn't know what it was about. And, and I said, hey, you want to come down and be ministered to? Like, like a pointed motion to him. He said, I can't. And I said, why not? He said, because I'm the abuser. I'm the molester, he said. And I said to him, I said, well, oh, Jesus. You know what that is? I had a good cross. I said to him, I said, every sin ever committed can be forgiven. And then I watched something I've never seen happen before. As he walks down the, the hundred guys part and he comes down, I don't get to touch him. I don't get to minister to him. I don't get to touch him. All of the molested guys swamped him with love. And it was just this moment. That can't be created without the cross. That, can't, that kind of forgiveness can't be done without Jesus being in the midst of it. That's not humanly possible, which by the way, we see it on display when we go to Rwanda where a million people were killed in 90 days, and now we have a nation that is putting itself back together through truth and reconciliation. They're willing to come together. So don't tell me that in America the black-white thing can't be healed. We just need to go to the cross. Don't tell me that anything that ails humanity can't be solved. It can be if we go to the cross. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. By the way, the Lord just spoke to me that we're healing the black-white thing because I'm here and you here. Come on, y'all. And, and we got a bunch of Africans and Haitians and Hispanic and, and Egyptians. We all, listen, we got the United Nations in here. Come on. This is what heaven is going to look like. But, but, but he goes on. He says, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us. How many of you have a mortgage note? Come on, lift your hand. You own your own house. Well, you don't really own it. The bank does. You're paying on it. How many of you know what, what would it feel like to have your mortgage note? You wake up tomorrow morning, you get a letter, and they say, uh, Mr. Jenkins, such and such and such and such, your mortgage note has been canceled. Yeah, I know, baby. I work alone. Calm down, young lady. I let her get, look, I let her greet the church and pray, and now she's taking over the service. What would, it, what would it be like to have your car notes? Most Americans have two car notes. What would it be like to have your car note and your mortgage note cancel debt? It's done. Yeah, you would shout then. I bet you come to church and praise God then. I bet you know how to clap then. It don't matter what Brandon sings then. Then he says, all of the charges, you think of all of the charges that could be laid against you this morning. I want you to think of all of the things that you've done. I want you to think of all the things that you're struggling with right now, things that you regret. There are people here right now that are, are imprisoned because they're ashamed of something they did back here. And they can't, even though God has forgiven them, they can't because the devil constantly reminds you. Constantly, it's like a cycle, it's like a movie that just keeps getting played over your worst moments in life. Got you. 
I have moments as well where the devil reminds me of my previous addiction and the way that I treated my wife when we first got married and the years that it took me to get unburied and for the life of Christ to start moving in my life. Some people say stuff like now, it's like, man, I just love the way you love your wife. Yeah, the cross. There's no way to love her like that. You should have saw me then, before Christ. And if you just stay put long enough, and if you would start taking whatever it is, in whatever condition you're in. The worst thing I ever hear is people say, I got to get myself together before I come to church. How many know the devil's never going to give you an opportunity in a day when you're that good? How many know the church is made for screw-ups like us? Come to Christ, watch this, and nail whatever ails you to the cross in the throes of your addiction. Not when you got seven days sober. Not when you got a month sober, a year sober. No, you come to the cross now and say, Lord, I'm nailing addiction to the cross. And you say, but I don't feel anything. It's not about what you feel. It's about the truth of his word. He says, he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against you and took it away by nailing it to the cross. There's all kinds of, you know what? If we started going through this audience right now, I bet you there's all kinds of things that need to get nailed to the cross that you've been holding on to that you should just let Jesus pay for. Are you with me this morning? Touch your name and say, let Jesus pay. Tell him right now. Let Je- oh, here's a good one for our culture right now. What about that one? Not in this building. I'm sorry, somewhere else. How about this? There's violent people in our midst. You know what people didn't know about me when I first came to the Lord? is that I hurt people physically, is that my anger really was rooted in pain that manifested itself in anger, and so that's what you do because anger is a secondary emotion, and it's easier to display, especially as a man, to display anger and aggression rather than to say to somebody, hey, man, you hurt my feelings, only to have him say, oh, man, you're a punk, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then I grew up in a family that didn't appreciate vulnerability either. And if they found out anything about you, it was used to needle you and to put you down. So then uh, violence was really good, especially as a Marine. Come on, somebody. They like violent people. They send them all over the world. But then I met Coco, and Coco didn't do violence. Come on, somebody. <laughs> she didn't like yelling and screaming and punching holes in walls and breaking your own stuff to only have to buy it again. Oh, I know. Just keep looking straight ahead. Nobody even know we're talking to you. This is what I mean. So then I come to the cross for an exchange, sweetheart. You understand what I'm saying now? When I come to the cross, I bring my addiction to Jesus and I get freedom. When I come to the cross, I bring my sexual sin, my porn addiction, my perversion, my my same-sex attraction, whatever it is, I bring it to the cross, and Jesus, I get his righteousness, I get his healing, I get restored, I have a sense of peace that a drug can't give me. Come on, somebody. I got a joy that's unspeakable. I got a constant companion called the Holy Spirit. I'm no longer alone. When I come to the cross, I take everything and give it to Jesus, and in exchange, his death, I get life, and life more abundant. Now give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. It's important that you and I celebrate the resurrection. 
Because if all Jesus did was die there, then we wouldn't have hope beyond this life. But because he died and was resurrected, that means I have a hope in the next life, but also in this life. Anything that's dead, any hope, any aspiration, any dream, anything in me that's dead, everything can be made alive. John chapter 11, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, I still believe that if he hadn't called him by name, everybody would have come up out of the tombs. Come on, somebody. But he called him by name, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So this isn't, Christianity isn't self-help. This isn't about you becoming the best version of you. Are you hearing me? This isn't about you having a little emotional moment right now where you're like, I went to church and I felt what I, something I never felt before. I'm trying to give you a definition of what you're feeling. If you're in this place right now and you're like, I don't know what I'm feeling, that's the Spirit of God moving and ministering to you right now. And if you're in this building, you're like, and all of a sudden now this sin, you're thinking things that separated you from the Lord. And, and listen, the Lord understands. If I can communicate anything to you, I want you to hear me say it all the way in the back, all the way in the back. He understands you. Hebrews chapter 4 says, he was tempted in every way like we were, and yet without sin, so that he could become a high priest that is sympathetic. I don't know about you, but I don't like Christian movies normally, because they're kind of cheesy and corny. I just don't like them. But I'm telling you, how many of you have seen The Chosen? Anybody seen The Chosen? I'm to get. If you got Prime, Amazon Prime, whatever, find a way and watch The Chosen. It is amazing. It is amazing. And I'm not getting paid for that commercial. <laughs> I remember the story of the man that was laid by the pool waiting for the water to be troubled. And they, they depict this. Now, don't get all spiritual, like, oh, yeah, everything they say in that movie is not scripture. No, they take some artistic license. Please stop being so religious that you can't see the truth in the midst of a good movie. Good grief. Ugh. Christian, yeah, but it's not exegetically correct, and expositorily speaking, that's not what it meant. Got you! It's a movie, it's entertainment. They're not showing it in a Bible college to train pastors. Good grief. Christians. You know, I went bowling one time with some, I I just got to get this off my chest. I went bowling with some Christians one time. And this lady bought the big, fat, holy Bible to bowl with. Um, don't do that, Christians. That's just weird. We're going to bowl, have some french fries, and Jesus is going to have fun too. In any case, this man was paralyzed. (laughs) Pray for me, bro. This man is by the pool, and Jesus comes down and heals him. But what got me is not so much what Jesus did or how he did it, which was so compassionate, so merciful and loving. I love the way that they're depicting this. What got me is the Pharisees that came up and were upset. He has his mat rolled up, and he was violating the Sabbath because he was working by rolling his mat up. And Jesus is so different in contrast. Like he even, he goes on to say, by the way, The Sabbath was made for the man, not the man for the Sabbath, right? All this religious stuff was being undone, and this is Jesus. So when you sit here and you're like, yeah, but you just don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. 
Jesus does, and he says, come, come. I got you. you. You're burdened. You're struggling. You got weight from your past. You got abuse from your first husband, your dad, abandonment issues, rejection, and, and uh, all kinds of addiction. I got you. And you say, but you don't know what I got myself into. How, how many of you have ever gotten into a sin and you were ignorant? You just didn't know what it was. And, and it's like the old preacher would say, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. How many found sin to be that true? That's the case. But, but how, many time, how, many, how many here got into some sin and, and, and initially you didn't know what you were getting into? Lift your hand right now. Just raise your hand. I, my cousins bought my, uh, one of, my grandmother bought my cousin one time a Ouija board when she was little. And she didn't know that this stuff tends to the, it's the instruments used to the occult. They get kids to play a game to introduce them into the unseen realm. And that's what that stuff is. And then, the, the, anyway, I don't have time to get into that. We're going to teach on the reality of spiritual warfare. Don't let me forget that. Because you need to understand that there is a realm behind this realm that is orchestrating and controlling things. The Bible calls it the unseen realm where principalities and powers reign. How many of you know that there's stuff behind what you are seeing in the earth? Come on, somebody. If you believe in a Savior that died, you better also believe in an adversary that's trying to damn humanity. Amen? So, so there are times we get into stuff and we don't really understand the depth of it. But then there are other times, now watch this. You know what I'm doing. Oh yeah, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. He just called me. But we're not going to do nothing. 2 o'clock in the morning. Sure you're not. I'm, I'm just going to have one hit off that pipe. and jump in it, and then you go, help. <laughs> Jesus, help. And the Christians might stand on the edge of that and say, mm, I don't know how you got down there. Should have came to Bible study with me. <laughs> and Jesus walks up and he says, what, what are you guys doing? Oh, well, there's somebody down in the hole. They dug a hole of sin, and, and they did? And Jesus goes, let me help you out of here. I don't care what it is. I don't care how long it's been. The blood of Jesus is still effectual. The sacrifice offered on that tree. And more importantly, what you must understand is a word called propitiation, where God's wrath it's been sanitized. You don't get to see it. In fact, the, the, the team, my creative team, wouldn't know even on Good Friday, wouldn't even, they were like, ah, pastor, we're going to put it in black and white. We're not going to put the passion of the Christ in color because it's, it's just be too much. It's just, it's just so hard. And I'm saying to you, in a generation that has become as perverse as we've become and, and as out as we become in every way, form, and fashion, you need to understand the propitiation of Jesus Christ. And you need to see it and understand it so that you can appraise your Christianity correctly and so that you can rightly celebrate on Resurrection Sunday morning. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. Come on. Come on, like you mean it. I was talking to, as I do, I was talking to somebody recently, <laughs> typically at the gym. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't know if, you, if you've been in a sauna before, but a sauna is not a place that you want to have a lot of conversation. 
just so you know, if you, if you go to my gym, please stop talking to me in the sauna. <laughs> Wait till we get out of the sauna, we can talk over a beverage. Because I'm in there dying in the heat. But I got to talking to a young man sitting in the sauna. And um, we're both sweating bad. And, and he says, aren't you the guy? I said, oh, God, here he comes. You, you, you pass me East Hill, don't you? I was like, yeah, I'm that guy, yep. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to you right now. It's hot. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know you need to get saved. You need to come to church on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I work on Sunday. That's when we do the thing. You know, it's like, got a towel on right now. It's like, it's not the, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. Like, this is wait. Let me go get dressed and we can talk, you know. But he starts talking, he starts talking to me. And um, he says to me, I'm tired. And I said, what are you tired, son? What's the matter? He said, and he just starts listing all of the things that life has done to him. And he's been to the church before, and this is what's difficult. When the church has hurt you, it's difficult to then go back to church to receive help and healing and wholeness. But, but if you're here this morning, let me just tell you something about the church. And you say, well, the church is full of hypocrites, and I don't know why I even came this morning. Let me, let me just say this to you. I agree with you. Church is full of hypocrites. Church is full of people that lie, that have pride, that have judgments. By the way, that's, that's the stage included. Everybody in here is under a process of restoration and recovery. Everybody, everybody here has good moments and bad moments. Every single person. I know you're sitting on your own. You think all those people got it together. They fooled you. <laughs> they don't have it together. That's why they're here. And, and they never will, not on this side of heaven. We'll constantly, isn't that right, Arlen? We constantly, every morning, are coming back, saying, God, I know you forgave me of this, but I'm still prideful, I'm still arrogant, I still have lust in my heart, even though I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful family, I'm still being tempted to pornography and, and to drink and to satisfy every urge and appetite outside of you. Everybody in here is wrestling with the same thing. Although you want to pretend like you're not, keep looking straight ahead. Nobody will know. But he knows. And he drew you here for a moment like this so that you could understand the magnitude and the depth of his love for you was Calvary. Please don't let somebody trivialize a cross to you again because that cross is God's love being demonstrated to the world once and for all. Please don't make God have to prove uniquely for you. He's already done it. Now the question is, is will we repent and will we be humble enough? You know, this is the reason, Seth, this is the reason why the cross is such a problem for us because the cross demands humility. It demands that you bow. You can't stand here. You bow at the magnitude of what you see. You can't come to Jesus with your reputation intact, and you know who I am, and I'm a business owner, and all this stuff, and... He said, I'm tired. He wasn't tired because he needed a good night's sleep. He wasn't tired because he had worked 12 hours or shifts. Sin, which was joyful for one season, did not deliver on the promise. It always lies, doesn't it? 
It always tells you it's going to satisfy. It's going to be everything you want it to be, everything you needed. And all of a sudden, you realize he lied. He did the bait and switch on you. Now you're caught up, separated away from God. Your virtue's gone. Your integrity's compromised. And your character's under question. And you say, I'm tired because I'm going around and around, and I can't get free, and I can't stop sinning. I stop for a little while, I get clean for a week, but I keep coming back around and around. And Jesus said, if you just come and bow, because some people come and they come to the cross, and then they leave. And I'm saying, stay right here and live with the cross. Christians, you can't go anywhere. You have to stay here. He said, I'm tired. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And so when you transgress the way God would have you live in the order that God had prescribed, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult until you submit and surrender and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Because there's another exchange here where I give my life in exchange for his and I lay my life permanently down to live for him. I want every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment of time. able to get up in Christ. If you're here this morning with your head bowed, eyes closed, nobody moving around, Christians playing silently. If you're here and you say, you know what, I'm tired. I resonate with what you said about that young man with you and Asana. Tired of the cycle of my life. I'm tired of being estranged from God. I came here this morning to get right with God. I came here because I don't have hope of ever being anything else. I've ruined my life. I've ruined my name. But when you started nailing things to the cross, I realized that I can have a new life in Christ. And I want to pray with anybody that's saying that this morning. says, yep, I need new life in Christ. That's why I'm here. That's what I came for. If that's you, signify that with an uplifted hand all over the building. Just raise your hand right where you are. I see hands going up all over the place. I see your hands all the way in the back. I see your hands. I see your hands. If you have your hand raised, do me a favor. Stand to your feet right where you are. Stand up. Right where you are. Just stand. Just stand right where you are. Look at me. Stand up where you are. Look at me. 
Did you mean it? You mean it? By all back here, you mean it? Right here? Back here? All back here? How about in the back? You mean it? Here's what I want you to do. I want to pray with you. Come right here, right now. Come on. Come out of your seats. Give them a big hand right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. All of you standing in the back. Come on, you do better than that. Come on, church. Stay right there. Stay right there. Okay. Okay. Is that it? Anybody else? If you're sitting at your seat and you're wondering to yourself, should I come? then that means you're not assured of your salvation. That's an indication that you should be here. And there's no shame in coming. The shame would be that you came all this way and you went home and you didn't nail it to the cross. So if you're at your seat right now with no shame, and don't worry about your reputation or your image. If you're at your seat right now and you said, Pastor Keith, I need new life in Christ and I was scared to come the first time but I'm willing to come now. Come on, right now, get out of your seat and come. Come on. Come on. Come on, I see you. Look at me, all of you at this stage. Just so you know, when I'm standing down there with you, I started down there, there's so many of you, I couldn't see you, so I had to get back up here, or else I'd be down there. The truth of the matter is, is I see myself in your face, 100%. I'm not perfect, I'm not finished. I still go to that cross every day for my shortcomings and errors. I still have struggles, and I still need the grace of God, and I still need the Spirit of God to empower me to throw off the effects of sin in my life. I've done sin, and there's effects of it in my soul that people have perpetrated against me that I still need healing from, that cause me to act out sometimes in ways that betray my faith. But you know what I know? I'm more forgiven than I dare believe. And I'm loved. And you are too. And they're still coming, by the way. Give the Lord a hand clap right now. So look at me. I want you to know that it takes incredible courage to do what you've just done. Incredible courage in face of all these people, which by the way, you don't know them anyway, so why does it matter? All that matters is that God is, they still coming by the way. Now, some of you are here and I've seen you answer multiple altar calls here at the church. You don't have to answer anymore. What you need to learn is the assurance of salvation, which means you need to avail yourself to the discipleship process in our church so we can teach you that you don't need to get saved every Sunday. Because I used to do that. And the only way that we can help you understand the faith is that you make time in your schedule. The journey is starting. You need to make time in your schedule so we can disciple you so you don't have to keep doing this. But there's a ton of you that I do not know. But you know what's funny? God knows you. 
God knows your name. And it doesn't matter what your family does. It matters what you do. And this is your moment. And the God of heaven gave you life and spared you. Is there anybody here right now on this altar that knows that if it hadn't been for the Lord, you wouldn't still be here? Lift your hand right now. Okay. Okay. So here's what I used to do. I used to give people words to prayers, but I don't do that anymore. You know why? Because you know your heart and you know the sins that you committed. So it's important that you articulate your faith before the Lord and that you tell him right now, I'm sorry. And you name the sin if you can. Whatever it is, name it, nail it, exchange and say, God, I want your righteousness. I want new life in Christ. I don't, I have questions. I know the devil have you sitting here like, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about, doesn't matter. All that matters is Jesus being Lord of your life right now. The rest will get worked out over time as you stay put and allow us to teach you how to walk with Jesus. Amen? So here's what I want you to do. It's a lot of y'all. It's a lot, a lot of y'all. I want you to come around this altar, all down the sides, all down those sides. Come around me on the altar right now. Come on, find a place. Come on, step, step, step right up. Step right up, step all around that way. Help me, somebody usher them that way. You guys standing there with badges on, usher them that way. Usher them that way. Come on, all of them. I want to give you a chance to pray. Go ahead, bow your head and heart before the Lord right now. Do business with God. Come on, Sherry, sing. Let her sing now. Come on, pray. Just throw off your fears and come running. 
in that song. Look at me, those of you that are at the stage. Some of you are weeping right now. And here's the funny thing. The, word, the lyric in that says you're already loved. You're discovering right now in this moment, some of you, how much you're loved. Because your life, you're looking at it saying, you don't deserve that kind of love. And that's the magnificence of it. That Jesus would love us, die for us, even in our condition. Coco, wrap your arms around her with the shawl right here. My wife's going to hug you. Is that all right? Because I'm going to pray for you right now. In Jesus' name, release her. Release freedom and liberty, healing and wholeness. Now look at me, all of you at the, seat, at the altar right now. Put the connect number on the screen right now. There's literally no way for us to all capture your information today. But, but here's, bring that down for me. Here's what I want you to understand. There's no way for me to get in touch with you. There's no way for me to help you on your journey unless you text to connect and say, I said yes, and fill it out. And then we can start coming straight towards you to care for you and to walk you through. Amen? Now, what sense does it make? How old is your baby? How old? Look at, 10 months old. Can he eat by himself? No. You got to hold the bottle still? You got to make the bottle because he's a baby. Yeah. All of you have just been born again, which means we're going to have to come around you and help you, teach you, walk with you. So now, some of you, if you want further prayer, there's people over there at the yes table that will pray with you. But for the rest of you, I need you to do me a favor. Go right back to your seat, pick your cell phone up, leave it up there until the end of service. It's gonna be right there. What's your name? You. What's your name? With the tattoo on your neck. You, Steve. God's got a plan for your life. The devil's been trying to kill you, my friend. Take you out. Mm -hmm. Give me your hand. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you that you preserved him and navigated him to this moment. So Lord, from this day forward, as he lays his life down for you, use him. He'll be an influence. He'll be able to touch people I'll never be able to touch. With the testimony, just like Paul, you need to read about the Apostle Paul's conversion because that's you today. You'll never be the same again. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Stand to your feet. You can go back to your seats. Come on. All of heaven is rejoicing. Stand to your feet all over the building. Stand to your feet. 
Look at me for a minute. The world needs the people of God, the resurrected people of God, to spill out of places like this, full of God's love and mercy and grace for a fallen and broken world. Not our judgments and criticisms, but Jesus comes alongside humanity, sits where we sat. What if East Hill was known as such a place where the broken can come and find wholeness and family, amen? Let me pray over you real quick before you go. Father, in Jesus' name, bless each and every household. Keep each and every man, woman, and child in your grace until the coming of Christ. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? You said what? Go with God, God's gonna go with you, we love you.
Cheers.